I saw a bumper sticker the other day. Uh, the bumper sticker said, love is love. It doesn't really tell me very much, right? Yeah, you define something by just repeating it. You might as well just say love, right? Love is love. At best, that's a statement of the obvious. Love is love. I suspect, though, that what that meant to convey is that love means anything I want it to mean. That I'll pour the definition into love, and it, and it just means whatever I want the word love to mean. Which prompts a question, is love really so nondescript. Um, You know, in the language of the New Testament, there are several words that are translated as love. Now, we only find a couple of them in the New Testament, but there were more in the language of the Old Testament. I'm I'm sorry, the New Testament, uh, the milieu around that they had to choose from. And some of them were very specific. There were words that indicated uh, love of a parent for a child. Or love for uh, an animal. Some people, you know, would say, I love my dog or I love my cat. There was a word for that. Uh, Or even, you know, uh, who would love a favorite food. I love salad. Does anybody say that? I don't know. Um, And then there was uh, the love of friendship that was a love that was really around something else, uh, some some kind of commonality that people had, and they saw the thing the same way, and it's the, the, the kind of love that, 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 that comes about from somebody looking at another person and saying, oh, you, you too? You, you really get that. And it might be a love of sports or a love of music that brings people together than that has an affection together. And of course, there's the kind of love that exists between a man and a woman uh, that leads to marriage, where there's an affection where each other is the object of that affection. But probably the word that we hear most of uh, in the New Testament, we've heard in Christian circles, is the word agape. And I can remember as a new Christian hearing about this word agape and being told that this was the sacrificial love, self-sacrificial love, selfless love, unconditional love, that this is God's love. It's the origin of all other loves. I wonder how many of you heard that before, that, that agape is that special kind of love that comes from God. Have you heard that before? Just, I know we're Presbyterians. We don't put our hands in the air, but go like this so I can tell if you've heard that before. Okay. And so imagine my shock to discover when I was in seminary that in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which, uh, which is the Bible that the early church used, in 2 Samuel 13, we meet a man by the name of Amnon. And um, Amnon has an unhealthy fixation upon his niece, a woman by the name of Tamar, and over and against her urgent begging, pleading 
to please not do this thing, Amnon forcibly rapes her and then can't stand the sight of her. And what we're told in the Septuagint, the word that's used to describe uh, Amnon's disposition to Tamar is agape. And in fact, at the time of the new, that the New Testament was written, the word agape was a very nondescript word for love. It was a catch-all word for love when a more precise term couldn't really fit. It was a word that could mean pretty much anything anybody wanted it to mean. But because all of the other words for love were inadequate to describe God's love, the writers of the New Testament co-opted that word and they poured into it the meaning with which Christians today are familiar. And it's the word that's used by the Apostle John uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I say by John because I'm pretty sure when Jesus spoke these words to Nicodemus, he was speaking in Aramaic. And I read this last week, but I just want to focus in on this particular verse. It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And our Father, we thank you for this love that you have demonstrated to us and the message of the gospel which shows it to us. And Father, I pray that as we come to embrace that and understand it the more, that it would be more and more reflected in our lives, in the things that we do through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Love is love. That's the slogan we're told today. By the way, I've seen that a lot of places, not just on that bumper sticker that I saw the other day. And, and unless people are told what love means, people will supply their own definition for it. It's just simply what they'll do. And so to really communicate, love requires a show and tell. Talking about God's love without demonstrating it is useless. But demonstrating God's love without talking about its meaning is meaningless. Talking about God's love without demonstrating it is useless. And so we're told here that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, I think, you know, our translations, the way that they're rendered here, um, we might be inclined to misunderstand what John is telling us here. He's not saying God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. Sometimes I hear people read it that way. The word that John uses here that we translate so is a word that means uh, so in the sense of thus or in this way. That this is how God loved the world. God loved the world thus. He loved it so that he gave 
his only begotten son. That is to say that God demonstrated his love and in doing so thus defined love in giving his son. And you know the apostle Paul in Romans 5:8 tells us as much. He says for God demonstrated his love to us in this that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. But Christ's death on the cross is the culmination of all that it means that God gave his son. See, it doesn't merely mean on the cross, but it goes back to what the prophet Isaiah told us in Isaiah chapter 9. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given. God gave us his son. And throughout the life and the earthly ministry of the son, Jesus demonstrated the love of God and what it meant. And so as you look at Jesus throughout the Gospels, and we could limit ourselves even just to the Gospel of John here, that he provided food for the hungry, for those who had no claim to that food. You think of Jesus feeding the 5,000, and when he did that, it wasn't that they had some right to that. As a matter of fact, the disciples said, hey, send these people away. It's getting late. They're going to be famished. They need to find food. And Jesus said, well, you provide them food. And it's as a result of that that Jesus provides food for people who had no claim to it. God demonstrates his love. And he provided healing for the sick even sometimes for those who are in their situations, seems, the hint is, because there was some poetic justice in what had befallen them. And so we see Jesus healing people and telling them, he didn't do it to everybody, but to some he says, now go and sin no more. Kind of give you the idea that they were in the situation that they were in because there was some poetic justice that caught up with them. But he provides healing for um, those who are in the situation that they're in because of their sin. He provides healing for people sometimes who are less than appreciative. We're going to meet a man in this gospel uh, who's lame at the pool of Siloam. And Jesus heals him. And the man doesn't even know who it was who healed him. And we find that out because the Pharisees demand of him, hey, who healed you that you're carrying around your pallet on the Sabbath? Then they're upset that somebody healed on the Sabbath. The man doesn't know who Jesus is, but later he finds him, and, well, we'll see when we get get there that he goes off and he rats out Jesus to the Pharisees. Jesus provided healing uh, for the sick, for those uh, who we might say are in their situation because they deserved it, for those who are less than appreciative, and he demonstrates the love of God. And he reversed people's misfortunes even when it didn't fit his time to do so. 
John uh, chapter 2, we saw Jesus at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, and and the, uh, the party there had run out of wine. When we looked at that passage, we saw why that was a bit more serious than it might be uh, today for them. And his mother comes to him and says, they have no more wine. Do you remember Jesus' response? He says, woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. And yet, and yet, Jesus acts on their behalf. He reverses people's misfortunes even when it didn't fit his time by his declaration. He demonstrated the love of God. You know, it's significant as you read through the Gospels that we see Jesus talking a lot about the kingdom of God. He doesn't talk very much about himself. And as a matter of fact, Jesus speaks so little about himself that when he does, we should sit up and take notice of what he has to say. My wife asked me some time ago, you know, she was reading, she goes, why does Jesus do that? Why does Jesus always say when, when he's healed somebody, he says, don't tell anybody. Uh, when, when somebody's figured out he's the Messiah, he says, don't tell anybody. Why does Jesus do that? And I said, you know, I don't know, I've pondered that for many, many years, but I think it's partly because the demonstration of the love to people has to come first before the message of the love or talk about bringing God's love into the world will sound hollow. And we followers of Jesus would do well to remember that. You know, the Apostle John, who wrote this gospel, tells us things like this in his first letter. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Maybe it was a reaction to the social gospel of the early 1900s. You know, that, 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 that thing which redefined the gospel as uh, simply helping people in their need. Maybe it was a response, a reaction to that, but for almost a century, as I look back even when I first came to faith in Christ, um, evangelical churches, they, they talked a good game about the love of God. But it seemed they weren't really much involved in the needs of those who are around them. I'm, I'm glad to say that that's changing. You know, you look at the world around today, and, and there's a lot to, to discourage us, to distress us, right, in the way that things are changing. But, but one thing where you should be encouraged, uh, and you should be glad, and I certainly am, is to see that changing. And I see things like the Tree of Life ministry that's grown up in this cooperation with the churches and in which we're involved. I see things like Samaritan's Purse uh, and things like that in which we're involved. And I see things just in the last decade, like the Orthodox Presbyterian Church's uh, disaster relief teams and the disaster relief fund that when there's some calamity somewhere that we'll send funds and we'll send teams of people to help with the needs. God demonstrates his love to us 
in Jesus, and we who are followers of Jesus must demonstrate his love. God so loved the world. He loved the world in this way that he gave his only begotten son. And talking about God's love without demonstrating it is useless. But friends, there's another side to that, and it's this. Demonstrating it without talking about its meaning is meaningless. Now, now don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying it's worthless. What I'm saying is that without any meaning given to it, people will supply their own meaning. They will give whatever meaning they think that love has. And did you see what we're told here? God so loved the world. He loved the world in this way that he gave his only begotten son. That's a demonstration of God's love. But it continues that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. To believe in him requires that we know about him. See, it was not sufficient for Jesus to do the work that he did, culminating on the cross in, uh, in anonymity and obscurity. We're told that whoever believes in him. Um, we see in the Bible, really I was going to say in the New Testament, but throughout the Bible, that God does not save apart from faith. It's not that God um, carried out this transaction on the cross in obscurity that nobody knows about, and then one day some people will find out, oh, hey, we've been redeemed. We didn't even know God existed, but here we are redeemed, and it just happened in obscurity. God does not save apart from faith, and faith requires a message to believe. I'm glad today that there's renewed commitment to demonstrating God's love. But we need to be very careful that the pendulum doesn't now swing the other way. And and this is what I'm seeing in some of this happening. That Bible-believing Christians used to talk about God's love, but not demonstrate it very much. The danger today is is that Christians would demonstrate God's love, but not talk about it. You know, we we read the New Testament, we can hardly imagine that the death of Jesus would have any other meaning than what we are familiar with. But I want you to think about it, if you can abstract yourself from your situation and think about it objectively for a moment. The execution of a lower middle class rabbi from Galilee in the first century by the Romans does not speak for itself. Right? The execution of a lower middle class rabbi in the first century by the Romans doesn't speak for itself. It requires an interpretation. It requires a message. Who he is, what he did, what took place on that cross all require explanation. 
you know, you can, you can see that uh, even in writings from the day, about AD 60, uh, the Roman historian Tacitus wrote about what was going on. Listen to what he said. You know, he knew about the events that had happened, and here was his understanding of it. Christus, from whom the name Christian had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. And a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out, not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world become popular. So that was Tacitus' interpretation of what had happened. There's nothing self-evident about the death of Christ that indicates who he is or why he died. The gospel, the message about him, is what supplies that information. It's that which must be believed. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's a demonstration of love. Whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That requires a message. Talking about God's love Without demonstrating, it is useless. But demonstrating God's love without talking about its meaning is meaningless. And as was the case with God, so for us who follow Christ, the demonstration of love must come first. We must lead with love. But friends, listen, when people hear the message of Christ, but they're not shown the love of Christ, or, or worse sometimes we've seen, when there are those who bear the message of Christ, but they show the antithesis of the love of Christ, those words come to be regarded as a lie. But we must not think that our actions in showing the love of Christ, speak for themselves and are enough. God demonstrated his love in the death of Christ, and yet that death didn't speak for itself. The reason why Christ died, what he accomplished in dying, must be explained and shared, and that is the gospel. And when we show the love of Christ to others because the love of Christ compels us to do so, we should always look for ways to explain the reason. If I could paraphrase Peter, to give an account for the love that is within us. If we belong to Christ and we show love for his sake, the reason that we do so is the same reason that Jesus died. Both trace their origin back to the love of God. But both of those things must be explained by the gospel. So, so yes, and a thousand times yes, thanks be to God for uh, a renewed interest in serving and loving our fellow man. Let's look for opportunities to serve others because we are followers of Jesus. 
But as we do so, let's always look for those opportunities to share some aspect of the gospel as to why we do so. Now, now you may not be able to share the whole thing. I think sometimes that's what keeps us from doing so because uh, we, you know, feel like, well, it's not appropriate in this situation. I don't have time to share the whole thing. You don't need to. God's got the situation under control. The apostle tells us that, that there are some who plant the seed and some who water, that it's God who gives the growth, who gives the increase. But, but unless we explain the love of God in Christ, which we're showing people and helping them in their need, people will see the love well enough. And because we're creatures made in the image of God, God who is love, we know love when we see it. People know love when they see it. But they'll supply their own definition for love, their own explanation for why. We need to supply them with the gospel's definition of love. You know, as, as, as nice a sounding soundbite as it is, it really is a nice soundbite, love speaks for itself. It's just not true. It's just not true. People won't understand the love of God that's shown in Jesus' life or death without an explanation of it. And the explanation that the Bible gives for those events that took place is not only true, it's good news. It's good news. And both of those things are necessary. God demonstrated his love. God loved the world in this way. He gave his only begotten son. But the message and the news must be told that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So understand that extending God's love to others is a show-and-tell affair. It's got to be both. Yes, we, we must first do, but we must tell why we are doing and point them to Jesus so that they understand God's definition of love rather than supplying their own. Talking about God's love without demonstrating it is useless, but demonstrating God's love without talking about its source and its meaning is meaningless. We must show and we must tell. Would you pray with me? Our Father, thank you for uh, your love to us, the love of what Jesus has done for us in his life and death and resurrection. And uh, Lord, thank you that as you are um, the lover of our souls, of our very beings, you, you seek those who would love you too. And that requires the message that requires an understanding of what you've done. That we might come to you and embrace you. That the, that the love that's shown in the gospel would take on meaning for us and it would compel us. And I pray, Father, that it would compel us uh, to love our neighbors well and to love you well. 
and to understand, Father, that that love, that call to love, entails showing and it entails telling. And help us to do both through Christ our Lord. Amen.
Thank you.